Show them you're a tiger. Show them what you can do. The taste of Catholic discipleship. I don't know the song. <laughs> <laughs> Brings you're out the tiger great. in you. Brings yeah, they're out great. The tiger you're great. in you. Oh man, that hurts. <laughs> Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in youth ministry for over 18 years and have seen just about everything. And as messed up as we are, especially Chris, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Now, why the self-deprecating humor? I mean, what was the, with the Tony the Tiger thing at the beginning? And you gave me no prep. Like, you assumed that I would remember this. What are you doing? I asked if you were ready. Yeah. So, yeah, Frosted Flakes, they're great. Discipleship, it's great. The Commission, the Great Commission. Yep. There we go. There's the loose tie-in by Chris Bartlett. We have uh, <laughs> the Great Commission. is kind of our topic today, but really what I wanted to talk about is the Meh Commission. The Meh Commission? Yeah. Is, is that I what think... it seems like every church does? <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't want <clears throat> to say every church at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he talks about the Great Commission, and it shows yep. us that we are called to go to the ends of the earth, and that he has sent his spirit to be with us, or that he will be with us until the end of the age. And yet, when we look at some of the ways that uh, that commission is played out, I think it goes back to kind of two things. One is that the church doesn't ask too much of people. She asks too little, which is something we brought up before. And number two, that mediocrity is a bigger threat to the church than heresy today. And I see it. I yep. see people going through, and the average Catholic attends Mass once a month because, meh, what's the big deal with Mass? They don't understand. We don't understand. And we. the more difficult part is we don't communicate it. We don't communicate the urgency of the gospel and the, uh, the amazing adventure it is to be set on fire with the love of God. And if we communicated it, like we're not communicating how beautiful it is, we're communicating that it's a sin if you don't go. We're focusing on the negative rather than the positive. And that's one of the things that frustrates me, even like on a completely different topic. When I first started in youth ministry, I was giving a talk about sex, you know, to the kids and talking about that. And one of the things that always frustrated me about sex talks is that they were always negative. Like, you're going to get someone pregnant, you're going to get a disease, you know, um, it's a sin, all these negative things rather than the beauty of what it is and, and why we are waiting. This is way before I knew anything about John Paul II, you know, which is like the theology of the body, you know, and, and how beautiful what God created is. And so that's like when we, when we talk about the Mass, when we talk about the Great Commission, we need to start talking about the beauty of what it is that we've received, not all the negatives or the rules or whatever, all that stuff that people tend to go to because that's easier. It's easier to talk about, oh, this is the obligation, you know, rather than, hey, do you know what this is? Like, this is beautiful. What God has given us is amazing. On that same note, we need to make it beautiful, but that's a different topic. So how do we foster a righteous hunger for the Holy Spirit? How do we make people hunger for this reality, for the Great Commission, instead of just the meh, whatever commission, right? We're, we're so busy staring at our screen, swiping left, right, up, and down, and scrolling that we don't even know that there's this great reality that we're called to, this adventure that we're called to. And so one of the things I want to talk about is what it means when we say the Great Commission, right? Commission means that we do it with God. 
salvation history, what happened when God saved humanity through Noah and the ark, what happened with Abraham, what happened with Moses, all those different pieces is happening today. And he he journeys with us and he reaches into our world today with his saving act. But with the commissioning, with the great commission, it's no longer just God. It's us working with God. And we saw that in Noah and Moses and the courageousness that it took to say yes to God's will. That same yes we're called to. And yet we're just like, if you just show up to Mass on Sunday, then you won't go to hell. And the goal isn't heaven anymore. It's not going to hell. And that posture, it, it makes an impact. Yeah, and there's nothing, I mean, really exciting about that. <laughs> like what, what God has given us, what Jesus has given us is, is amazing. It's beautiful. It's exciting. And like when we make it all about just not going to hell, that's pretty boring. You know, that's not very exciting. Um, oh, you mean if, if I do this, then I won't get in trouble. That's my whole reason for doing it. That's kind of boring. You know, rather, like when I do this, I get to experience like the beatific vision. You know, that's, that's freaking amazing. And I think we've lost that awe, that amazement, you know, in, in what God's given us. When we look at the just, like, I'm not going to hell. And the whole not getting in trouble piece of it, I believe is a bad argument. I don't want people to get to heaven just because they sat up straight. Because you look at Moses, who killed someone. You look at Saul to Paul. And even St. Peter, who arguably would be the uh, epitome of a good boy, he tried really hard, but he failed and failed and failed. Get behind me, Satan. He denied Jesus three times, all these different pieces. So not failing is not a good litmus test for what holiness looks like or what God's will or God's plan looks like. Yeah, I had a conversation with a youth. I was at a confirmation retreat this past weekend, and uh, one of the things that they had mentioned you know, was... Uh, something about, you know, a good person going to heaven, you know, it was like, that's not exactly how it works, you know, and so if we dumb everything down to something that's not true, then there's, there's no, like, there's no impetus to be more, to be better, because if all the good people, you know, make it to heaven, which obviously we don't believe that's true, then my life doesn't have to have any extraordinary meaning, you know, it doesn't have to have any kind of extraordinary focus if, if that's true. And, and the challenge about it is, is if it doesn't have any extraordinary focus or extraordinary meaning, does it have any meaning whatsoever? Because if we were created for greatness, if we were created for God's will, God's plan, which is an adventure, which is dynamic, which is phenomenal, and then we live in a zone in a world where we're just like, yeah, I'm doing okay. Like, I don't know if okay is the being fully alive, Right. I don't know if okay sets the world on fire, but what I do know is that okay leads to consumerism. Like, I'm okay, so I want to consume something, and so we get all excited on our social media about Disney Plus coming out, and we're talking about that, you know, and meanwhile, the church is hurting, and there's people hurting, and there's needs, and we don't know how to have those deeper conversations because we've never reached into that potential, that reality. When was the last time that you've seen anyone in the church get excited about anything in the church like they got excited about Disney Plus? When I have talked to people about the amazing parish conference, most of them are like, yes, that thing was amazing. Like, I know it's redundant. Amazing, amazing. After they went, right? But there, there, there's not this necessarily this buzz across Catholics across the nation to 
sign up for this or sign up for that, you know, or, or to be a part of something. And I, I feel like this actually kind of, this connects to what you're talking about, like the meh commission. You know, this is the great commission. And that should be something that we are, whenever we present it, that people like are a buzz about it, that our, our, our parishioners are a buzz about it and want to be a part of that. Correct. Yeah, but arguably, everything needs a springboard into it. And so whether or not it's the amazing parish or the book rebuilt or divine renovation or forming intentional disciples, those would be a couple of different movements in the last 10 years that I've seen people get excited about. And yes, they had to encounter the information first before they went into it. But keep in mind that Saul was blinded and that was his springboard in. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there are different moments where God encounters his people. The burning bush led to Moses kind of diving all the way in. And so it's okay that there's a springboard or an impetus. But do we as a church create those springboard type moments to launch people into the adventure of God's will or rather to cannonball them into it? You know, I think about the old circuses where they shot a man out of a cannon. Like we need to be doing that. At the end of Mass, that that sending forth prayer is us getting set on fire to go out into the world. And we're just happy to beat people out of the parking lot. Yeah, and that's actually a, a pretty good point. You know, like at the end of Mass, when we send people out, like what is that last song that we're doing? Is it going to be something that's going to keep people kind of humming the tune and uh, and getting excited about going out? Or is it going to be something that's going to be humdrum, slow, and, I don't know, boring to send them out and just lame? Go make a difference. You can make a difference. <laughs> like, that song has not, in my opinion, aged all that well. But like... For a closing song at a liturgy, it's actually pretty good. It's kind of saying, hey, you are the hands and feet of God. Go, you know, and that's, you know, I I heard a speaker say that go. That's the first two thirds of God's name. Like we need to be living this out. I thought that was hugely insightful, you know. Yeah. And so so when we look at it, what are the fruits of the meh commission? Not the fruits of the great commission, but the fruits of the meh commission. And for in the Catholic Church today, right now, for every Catholic that gets into the church that joins the church, we have four that leave the church. Four. For those who were raised Catholic, right, by age 23, like the best way to ensure regular participation in the faith, like long-term, is if they convert to Protestantism by age 23, because only 48% continue to participate regularly in Sunday serv- in weekly services as Catholics that were born cradle Catholics, and yet 65% continue to participate weekly if they went from Catholicism to Protestantism. And as exciting as that is, the reality is is only 2% who are no longer affiliated with a faith participate regularly. And that's where the rise of the nuns come in, and we're seeing more and more people in that category. So just to make that sound a little simpler, so what you're saying is that if people stay Catholic— even in name only, there will be fewer people that maintain their, I guess, religious affiliation in the long run than if they were to leave the Catholic Church and go to the Protestant Church. So, yes. Or for a Protestant th- Church. For, for those who stay with the faith, they participate weekly at a rate of about 48%, according to the statistic. And the statistic is from 2007, so it's probably uglier. I don't think it's gotten better. But 48% stick around for weekly participation for those raised Catholic. But those who have left the Catholic faith for a Protestant church participate at a higher percentage. It's like 65%. 
I don't think I don't think basis. that means that the Protestant Church is doing anything like special. I think that I mean that obviously those people that chose to go somewhere else place a priority on faith. They want something that feeds them, so then they choose somewhere else. So that makes sense that that those people would end up staying you know, like religious longer because they've made a commitment to looking for something quote unquote better. You know, so they're actually more invested in their faith than those that don't go look somewhere else. Does that make are sense? Are you? Yes, I, I hear what you're saying, but are you insane? Like, we have the fullness of truth in the Catholic faith, right? To say that there's something better out there is not true. That's and why for, I put it in air quotes. Now, nobody can see in my air quotes, <laughs> but I right. had air quotes, people. <laughs> but, 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 but that's the main issue is that, like, we are losing people when we are winning. Like, we have the Eucharist. No other faith has the Eucharist, like Christ himself, and yet we are losing people because they hunger greater because what we're serving is just kind of meh, right? And so let's let's break down the word commission. I, I sometimes enjoy looking at the words, and then they're in Latin, and then I can't pronounce them, and then I don't enjoy looking at the words. So just be with me, okay? <laughs> and then you feel real stupid, Yeah, and then, so, and then you quit. <laughs> commission, right? So uh, participating, someone with authority has given us authority. Um, to 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 work with them to accomplish an end, right? That's kind of the Webster Dictionary type of definition, but it, it, it's dependent upon authority. Can I pause? Because how much authority do lay people feel like they have? Well, so that's why I call it the Meh Commission. This All is right. the issue. Like, and I'm not, like, this isn't picking at the clergy or the hierarchy or anything like that. But my guess is the average lay person does not feel like they have any authority to do anything. I agree. And, uh, and even in certain ministry settings, right, there's, there's a sense of, like, when you become spiritually mature, then I will teach you how to do deeper prayer. There's this impossible on-ramp that yeah, no one and, can make. And, I, and I, I, don't, I don't I feel like I'm opening a can of worms with this one, but maybe not. But then, like, let's say you have a parish, and the parishioners have started this ministry and that ministry and this ministry, and things are growing— well, then the pastor changes, the new pastor comes in and squashes all of that. That happens regularly across the nation. And so then whatever authority that the lay people felt like they had is absolutely wiped away. So they had taken that meh commission and were doing something with it, making it something, great. Something great, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then it was squashed back to meh or just squashed. So then the next time they get excited about a ministry, are excited about doing something, they don't do it. Right. And there's this unique tension in the Catholic Church because those same people that were on fire one pastor ago, they might recognize that they don't get the Great Commission from their priest. They get the Great Commission from God. That's where the Great Commission comes from. We're, we're, we're commissioned into the mission of God, but they are respectful of authority, and so they respect the priest, which turns it into a meh. And then what, what happens is that person that feels that mission from God and has gotten squished within the, like squashed within the Catholic Church, what do they do? They move to somewhere that doesn't have the same authority structure and become Protestant. Yeah, and then they start that ministry there. They may even start another church because they felt the call to, to, be, to preach or they felt the call to do whatever, and then that was squashed or not honored. 
No, and often they're met with more spiritual fulfillment, right? All because they were trying to respect the uh, the priestly authority, which were called to as Catholics. I really don't like the way that we are talking about priests right now, because I feel like we're we're blaming them, you know, for for this situation, and that's not at all, you know, what we're trying to get at. But we, everyone, you know, needs to encourage each other to take a risk to do something, you know, outside of the norm, or to do something. To just to do something and encourage each other to do that. And just because someone else is doing something doesn't mean that you, for some reason, have lost any authority or you have lost something yourself. Like, let that person's light shine wherever they're, like, however they can. Because there's no reason why it shouldn't. Well, there are, there are liability reasons, right? You're still called to protect your flock from a wolf in sheepskins and, and different sure. things like that. And unfortunately, yeah. the culture today is you have to protect yourself from the potential of the potential of a wolf in sheepskin, which means everyone has to go through these different pieces. There's also limitations on resources. Here's the deal. We all know many priests who are dynamically setting people into mission, right? The Great Commission, yep. they they, ha- they have it down. And then a number of priests where we don't see that as dynamically, like I've, I've talked with these priests and they hunger for it. But underneath a mountain of being a CEO of this humongous company, which is their parish, they're not sure how to get out from under it to set people on fire in that way, but they desire it. I've yet to see a priest that wants to destroy the church. I'm sure that there might be one or two out there, but I've yet to see a priest that wants to destroy the church. I've seen people who have been discouraged by the church, but that's across the board. It's not just priests. Sorry, yeah. we can go back to the back on topic because I know I took us off on a tangent there. <laughs> you sure did. So commissioning. So to break down the word commission, come, C-O-M, to bring together. And mission means to launch, release, or throw. And like a missile, like, that's my sound effect, Taylor. You like it? A missile to launch, like it is meant to be like springboarded into the world. And so God in his saving work to his people, the same saving work that has worked all throughout salvation history, partners with us, not because he needs to, but for our sake, because we need to experience it, and sends us in with him into mission. And that's that's a beautiful thing. That's something, like, I, I, I wrestle with this sometimes, because wherever you are, whatever God's doing in your life, whatever ministries you're a part of, are partially for the sake of others, but it's mostly because God wants to save you. So he has put you in the position that you are in for you, for your growth, for for your relationship with him, for, for that to grow. He doesn't need us to save other people. That's his job, you know, but he allows us to play a role in that. And it's, it's, it's kind of for their salvation, but it's mostly for ours. Isn't that an interesting thing? Yeah, so the only way to save yourself is to save someone else. Like, if your ship is going down, the only way for you to save another is if you, uh, to save yourself, is if you invite someone else into the lifeboat. Like, that's, that's that's kind of a fascinating analogy to kind of ponder. Yeah, so then, then you're, I I wrestle with sometimes is like, if that this is all about, then how much of that do I need to do? How much of the, the work do I actually need to do? And am I taking on too much, more than what God actually wants me to do, because I feel like I need to save all these people? And that's not how it works. Sorry, that's another tangent. Let's dive in. This is Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 19. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Dun, dun, dun. Some doubted even in that moment. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. So who is with us always until the close of the age? Jesus. And how? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, some doubted. Like some doubted, even in this. Like it, there is so much permission for failure, failure that even in the Great Commission, he acknowledges that some doubted, and yet he still sends himself to the ends of the age with them, and he still calls on them to participate with his authority. All authority has been given to Jesus, and now he is sending us forth which means we as a church, we as ministry leaders, must, must speak with a righteous authority. And sometimes we, we are just too soft in the way that we speak. We must speak in a righteous authority, calling down on the same Holy Spirit that God sent us to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. And so what does the Met Commission look like versus the Great Commission? Well, the Met Commission is the church has a bunch of rules, right? Do this, do that. And we see that in, in ministry programs all throughout these requirements, these hoops that people have to jump through. And that's where we start because that's what gets people to show up. We talked about this uh, two episodes ago. The Mud Commission only entrusts little pieces. Well, you're not developed enough spiritually, so you're not ready to do this or you're not ready to do that. You haven't been a parishioner for 15 years, so you can't be a, a, an usher just yet or some of those different pieces. And so you can start at the bottom of the totem pole. And that doesn't feel so great. It feels kind of meh in a lot of ways. Then there's being talked down to, like some of them feel like, like, you know, like I have the authority, I know Christ, you know nothing, so I'm going to talk down to you, and it's not a journeying together, it's not accompaniment, but rather it's kind of a, and not even disciple, because even as a disciple or a teacher, like Jesus journeyed with them, that's an apprenticeship type of relationship, but it really is kind of like a, a professor-student type of relationship. Yeah, and it's it's also a one-way conversation, if you can call it that, a one-way dialogue. Like, I tell you all of the stuff, and you don't have any say in, in what happens and what we talk about, and you are just meant to receive what I dispense. Yes, and then there's also a, a misalignment of concerns, and I want to I share this from a youth minister's perspective. A lot of the youth in our program are super concerned. A lot of the youth that I, I, I encounter today are super concerned with LGBTQ plus issues about uh, gay marriage and, and, and different pieces like that. And they're concerned that they want their friends to feel included. They want their friends who have same-sex attraction to, uh, to be able to express love. Like that actually is a really good desire. They have compassion for their friends. And then some of the other people, this goes back to rules without relationship, want to just go ahead and communicate that it's not natural. It goes against natural law. Two people of the same gender cannot reproduce. Therefore, it goes against natural law. And while that's true, the issue that needs to be addressed is the fact that they have compassion for another one of God's children and want to find ways for them to experience love. And love most fully realized is through Jesus Christ. Whether you're married, single, gay, or straight, love most fully realized is through Jesus Christ, and we need to start there. But instead, we start all the way to like a rule or a teaching of the church that feels like a barrier uh, or something that uh, marginalizes one of these people that they care about. And that passion and compassion that they have is actually a good thing. 
So that's part of the Meh Commission is focusing on the rules. And I wouldn't even say the teachings because that, that's not necessarily a teaching thing rather than the, like, so just having different concerns than the people. And we always start with the love of God. How would Jesus encounter someone who's like, I, I want to uh, marry someone of the same gender? He wouldn't be like, well, that's against my rules that I made, right? He would, mm-hmm. he would call Zacchaeus down from the tree and dine with him at his house, and he would encounter him in, in his story, like, tell me more about who you are. Let me journey with you. And that accompaniment is sometimes absent when we're communicating the rules. Um, and unfortunately, for those who are kind of in the Met Commission and just showing up to, to Mass like once a month, there, there's a, it's also absent there because they don't have a relationship with the pastor. They don't know the pastor's heart. And so when they hear these teachings coming from the homily, which is totally an appropriate place, it's absolutely fine to share the teachings of the church during a homily. Absolutely fine. But some people don't know the pastor's heart because they haven't allowed themselves to dive into the parish life to the degree, or maybe the parish doesn't have on-ramps to allow them to dive into that degree. So what is the Great Commission? If that's the Meh Commission, you know, what is the Great Commission? What does that look like? Well, first of all, like I've been sharing, like you are a part, a living part of salvation history. Like everything that has happened, God's saving action exists today, and you are called to be a part of God's saving action, not just receive God's saving action. In baptism, we have received that. And obviously, through working with grace, participation in grace, we continue to receive that. But we're also called to share it. We are instruments in the, uh, in the worthy hand of the master carpenter. Absolutely. And, and on top of that, like your passions have a purpose. This is what I, I, I really love about how God works with us is he's not going to give you a mission that you aren't excited about and that you don't desire. He's not going to say, you know, hey, Matt, your mission is to um, do something that you don't like and you're not good at. He's going to give me a mission that gives me energy. And it actually springs from my desires. So... That's how his mission works. So if you have a desire on your heart to serve the poor, that is going to be your unique way of living out this commission. It may be within that community in serving the poor while you're also sharing the gospel. And if your desires are disordered or disintegrated, like I think that in that desire, and the devil twists twists a truth, right? Uh, anything that's a sin or whatever is just a twisting of the truth. Like, there's something there to it. Like, if you're fascinated with your your sexuality in a way that's unhealthy, there's a passion there that needs to be reordered and then to, to move forward in that degree. Like, so even even our sin, we can look at our passions in regards to our sin. Like, there have been times where I have, uh, I've, I've stayed up way too late playing video games to where it got in the way of my vocation as husband and father. But one of my charisms is the charism of play. Like to be to be joyfully playful and things like that, which makes me a really good youth minister when it's time for relational ministry or mealtime and things like that. And so it's a passion or a gift that God has given me. Another piece is that uh, in the Great Commission, the faith is meant to be shared by you. Like we have ownership. That commissioning, the authority comes from God and is given to us to be shared. Even if it's shared imperfectly, it's meant to be shared by you. Insert Chris's typical comment. We are not qualified. We are called. <laughs> you almost always say, you know, none of us are qualified to share the good news. And it's like, stop it, Chris. Stop saying that because that's going to make people not do it. 
<laughs> All of us are called by virtue of our baptism. Like, you know, and it's fun fun because I can say that. I can throw it out with the old Catholic guilt. Again, that's part of the Meh Commission, the Catholic guilt piece. But, like, if you are not in ministry in some way, if you are not serving in some way, um, you are called to serve. You are not living as, as the Christian that God has called you to be because by virtue of our baptism, we are called. We're not, like, requested, uh, please respond, but we are called into that commission. So many people don't step forward to volunteer because they feel like they don't know enough or they they aren't good enough like they they may they may have a particular sin that they struggle with or we have this weird idea that you have to be perfect to be in ministry that's not how this works you can't be none of us are that's literally never how it's worked moses was a murderer paul was a murderer peter was a doofus like, seriously, we need to go ahead and break the stigma of perfection equals uh, worthiness. We are worthy yeah, by the I, blood of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how much of that is on us as ministry leaders. Like, do we, do we put off this whitewashed, you know, version of who we are? Like, do, or do we let people see, the, the, like, I don't want to say the real us, you know, but see our, impe- our imp- in, impections? What's an impection? Our imperfections. You know, do we let people see that? Like, I, I hope Taylor doesn't cut that out. Like, my my messed up word. Like, let people hear the like the, your mess ups. You know, and you know what is it that we can do as ministry leaders to to make what we do seem accessible to everyone? And because, t- to be honest, it, it everything we do comes with risk, right? And probably the greatest risk that we experience in ministry is people recognizing, oh, wait a minute. This guy doesn't know Jesus as deeply as he's asking me to come to know Jesus. And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. I desire you to be holier than I. Ever so often, like we do worry about that that glass shattering moment when it's like, oh wait, they just realized that I don't know what I'm talking about. Or <laughs> oh wait, they just realized I'm not perfect. Um, right. And will they still be a part of what I'm doing now that they realize I'm not perfect? Right, but but when we recognize that it's a commission, this isn't just my mission, but I'm I'm doing it with Jesus. Anytime we fall under the authority of Jesus or do it with Jesus, that our imperfections are made uh, are refined by grace in Christ, which is Amen. a beautiful thing. And that's the last piece that I wanted to make with the uh, with the great commission is that God, not the adults, have made us for mission. This great great commissioning is not a commissioning like oh. Your priest is asking you to join him in his mission, or your 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 husband or your wife or your uh, parish staff are asking to join you to join them in their mission. That's not where the Great Commission comes from. The Great Commission comes from God, the authority of God Himself, not other adults, not priests, but from God Himself to uh, to join and live out the adventure of God's will. Which which means you're not like you. We are not meant to wait for someone to ask us to do something. Because God has already asked you to do something, um, and so that's already out there. We, we're not we're not supposed to be sitting and waiting for someone to say, "Oh, you would be good at this, or you should be this." Now we need to be out there doing that as ministry leaders, but we we have to get out and do something. It also means that the structure of your parish doesn't mean that that's the only way that you can live out your mission. You can coach your daughter's soccer team. And go and share Christ in the way that you encounter the people out at the practices and at the weird soccer banquet that we have and all those different pieces. Like, we are called to be neighbor 
to people next door to us. And that is where our mission also resides. It doesn't just have to be through the structures of the, uh, of the parish that you're a part of. Yeah, not every ministry is commissioned specifically and a, a budget line item at the local parish. Right. You know? And it, and it never has been that way, nor do I believe that it was meant to be that way. Everyone should be marching together um, in their own unique passions and calling. So, you guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to continue the conversation online. In what way have you shifted from a meh to a great for the commission that God has called us to? Go ahead and share it. Let us know. You can send feedback, any feedback you have, to mla at ablaze.us, and then share this podcast with someone. I think this is a great topic to get people energized about their calling. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week and pray for other ministry leaders. Pray for the church. Pray for the, uh, like a, a transformation in the way that we as church see the commission. And just like Tony the Tiger, make sure that that commissioning is great. We'll see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. You were waiting on that. uh, that, that All day. All day. day.